Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I think they could have. I think they could have scored two more goals after the sixth goal, which was 87 minutes. Leicester were gone, completely gone. Son has his hat trick. Hello and welcome once again, everybody, to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. I'm joined by Tottenham lifer James Moore and Spurs newbie Tim Spears. Both of them back from a miserable midweek in Lisbon and a much better weekend in North London. Hello, Tim. Once again, welcome back. Thanks, Danny. Great to be here. And hello, James. Not just James, but rather tanned James. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly hadn't noticed that until we came on. It might just be like the, the tint on my... No, it's the uh, contrast the to my pastiness off. you're noticing. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But yeah, I actually had a very good week. The game, the, the rubbish game and the rain at the start of the week didn't detract from my experience of Lisbon. It was amazing. So, thanks. So, you're, you're, uh, this is the happy James, yes? Yeah, I mean, obviously Spurs winning 6-2 on the weekend didn't, didn't do any harm. Well, this surely is the happiest you'll ever be. You're back from a week's holiday and Spurs have won 6-2. I mean, does it get, does it get any better in terms of J- James Moore mood? <laughs> yeah, I mean, does, does life get any better than that? Probably not for me. Well, we'll hear from later on the podcast, I should uh, trail this, we'll hear from somebody who is a Spurs fan and may even be happier than James. Um, if you've been following Twitter, you'll know that a Spurs fan won a quarter of a million pounds this week on a bet that relied on Tanguy and Dombele scoring a 92nd minute goal. We'll hear from the newly enriched member of the public and Spurs fan a little later in the pod. Um, let's. The headline here, I guess, is Renaissance. Um I, I'm going to make a confession here before I start to get your views on this. I now do not understand what's happening at Spurs. At half time, I was clutching the whatever this thing is at the side of my head. Oh, yeah, hair. I was clutching this and thinking, here we go again. This team is playing too deep. And if you let players as good as Tielemans and Madison play on the edge of your box, sooner or later you will concede a goal. I was fuming. It doesn't make any changes at half time. They come out play a bit on the front foot, and they run out 6-2 winners. So here's the truth of it. Antonio Conte gets paid more than I do to know about football. And while they're winning 6-2, it would be churlish, stupid of me to complain because they're third in the table um, and whacking these things out. And yet, uh, Tim, I, I wasn't certain that it was great again. Son was. It, w- it wasn't for the most part. I, I, I felt like... As clinical as Spurs were to run at six two, it was sort of less Leicester imploded really, and um, Conte sort of tactical switch on seventy minutes. It's weird to call it a game changer when you're already winning, but I did feel like that massively changed the game to put an extra man in midfield. You say you say kind of front foot and getting upfield, but I think t- two of those last three goals did come from Spurs winning the ball outside Leicester's uh, penalty area. So yeah, Leicester kind of just played into Spurs' hands, I think, a bit really. It felt like a bit of a desperate tactical last chance saloon move from Brendan Rodgers. Um, he knew he wouldn't be able to sit back and get any kind of result. He knew that they'd concede from a set piece, which is just this bizarre thing that Leicester keep doing. Um, 
so he sort of went, went for broke and I thought that played played into Spurs' hands and they didn't have to play particularly well, certainly with the ball, to, to dominate the game. Uh, the possession stats say it was very much Leicester dominating and that's how I saw it for, for long spells. But Spurs, you can't argue with how clinical they were. And six goals. And the worst team in the league had 19 shots a goal away from home. It was incredible. What did you make of it, James? I mean, like you, I was concerned for the first, certainly the first half, maybe the first hour where, as we've said many times before on this podcast, that two in midfield uh, it is incredibly uh, susceptible to being just completely overrun. And it does seem now like most teams have realised that the key to at least getting a foothold in the game against Spurs is to put another player in midfield and just like keep the ball in that part of the pitch as much as possible uh, and try and avoid leaving yourself open to the counter-attack. And that was what most teams have done really this season. And we've talked quite a bit, Danny, about the possibility of sticking Basuma or Skip into that midfield with Hoiberg and Bentancur and, and kind of making it slightly more rigid. And obviously the, the flip of that is you have to lose one of those attacking players. But And yes, the obvious caveat, it was Leicester in their bottom of the league and it was the end of a game where they were already losing and it seems like the manager may be about to get sacked and whatever else. But in taking that backward step and putting a more defensive-minded player on, it did allow Spurs to kind of wrestle control back slightly more and I'd be interested to see the possession stats for those last 20 minutes where they felt like Spurs were winning the ball back far quicker there were far fewer like spells of prolonged possession from Leicester like there were in the first certainly in the first half and again maybe in the first hour of the game it's always good to be proven right and if this podcast is known for anything it's particularly me Jack and Charlie uh, making a point of highlighting Mm. the fact that we were right how right were you this time I mean look it was pretty right wasn't I And and if also if if Jack or Charlie were here, and unfortunately uh, they're not, they would tell you that at about half past four on Saturday, I sent a WhatsApp to both of them saying Son will come off the bench and score. So there it is. Well, I was going to say, why didn't you put that in the um, in the view from the lane WhatsApp chat? And so we, we could we, all, we, we could all have seen were. it, and then which me and Danny are in, and then we could we could say, okay, yes, you you were right, James, but but we can't we can't do that. I don't, but I don't feel like we've built up the trust yet. I'm, I'm slightly, slightly suspicious of another WhatsApp group full of the Righteous Brothers. Um, the James, I play three five. When I'm playing football manager, I play three five two. I believe uh, you know that's the way I've won magnificent trophies over the years. Um, I'm not so certain you have to lose one of the forward players. Um, I think Kulusevski could play in midfield. Yeah, maybe. Uh, in the same way that his work rate, Christian Eriksen was a creative player with a monstrous work rate. And I suspect he could do that as well. Well, that's interesting, actually, because if you look at that 16-17 team, as it's laid out on like in the newspaper the day after the game, it is like sort of a front three with you know, Son quite often on the bench and Eriksen kind of playing out on the right. But we know in reality that Eriksen would basically be playing in midfield and it would be Kane and Delhi playing up front. So yeah, that and the, actually there were periods of that game on Saturday where Kane seemed to sort of be dropping into midfield and let Richarlison and Kulusevski kind of go beyond. So you can kind of see the. I mean, that would work way better with Son in the team, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I. I mean, I think the main thing is, and certainly none of us would pretend to know more about football uh, than Antonio Conte, despite what we've said in previous podcasts, but. It is encouraging to see him stray from that system to which he stuck to so rigidly for the last 10 months and it work. And that's not to say that suddenly he should play 3-5-2 in every single game, but it's good to have that 
in you know in his back pocket, isn't it? To be able to switch to that, and aside from anything else, it's going to make it slightly more difficult to prepare for a game against Spurs. And don't forget, Leicester have had what ten days probably to prepare for this game, so they would have had like some tactical master plan designed specifically to counter that system. Did that include losing every header from every set piece? That is not part of. Well, that's been their that's been their tactic for like two years. Though amazing, isn't it? Tim, uh, let's talk about Son, if we may, um, because last week we were trying to artificially inseminate you with Spurs, um, but now, uh, but <laughs> I, now, I was sore for a few days, Danny. Yeah, say. but now you can see why is your what a lucky man you are to to be the one reporting on this club, because one of the great players at the club having a terrible time, getting dropped to the bench. And coming on and scoring a hat-trick, including two unbelievably delicious goals that you'd be happy for them to be served to in the finest restaurants in Europe. Um, that, I'm afraid, sir, that is Spursy, not the other thing. Not giving away two goals in the last five minutes. Um, that's just losing. That was very Spursy when they brought Son and he was great, wasn't he? I've seen three Spurs games now and eight, and eight goals and two very good wins and two very good performances. I don't, I don't see what, what, what the problem is, really. Um I watched Kevin De Bruyne score a 24-minute hat-trick for Man City against Wolves in May and just assumed that that would be the fastest hat-trick I'd ever seen oh, in my life. Oh, you fool. You fool. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was incredible. The, the, the first goal, it just made me laugh, really, because he was sort of running towards the box on his own. He had no one for company. And I just felt like he was—he just thought, sod it, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to shoot. And the, the celebration sort of reflected that as well. He was sort of like, well, you know, what, what, what was the big deal? That's how easy it is to just to score a worldie. Um, oh, I don't, I don't like to see him not smiling though, because um, his smile is, is part of what I think Spurs are these days. Um, but you're right; he took it very seriously. I've scored a great goal now. You can see I can all do it. The second one, I, mean, I presume you've all seen the, the little piece of film on on YouTube. Absolutely, and not just roughly the same as absolutely identical to a goal he got at Spurs at the same end against Leicester last season. I mean, the most impressive thing about that is the first one's on his right foot, the second one's on his left foot for more or less exactly the same part of the pitch. And, and like, he, he can bang one into the opposite corner either side of his right or left foot from that sort of position. It does make you wonder how a player who can do that could go, like, six, seven games without scoring a goal. Well, if you, it, 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 absolutely it does. And I'm, I'm so pleased for him because I think he... Of course, it's, he's important to the team, but he, he just appears. Now, look... I don't know, if I might quote my youngest sister, if he keeps kidnapped people underneath his staircase and feeds them on coal, which is what she suspects Paul McCartney does. Um, but I, I, he, seems like, he seems like such a decent, straightforward fella as well. You just want him to do well. And it was, it was absolutely great. Um, really, really pleased with that. Well, he, 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 he said he was said after the game he was um, frustrated with his lack of goals, but not worried. Um, it's not something that's, that's been concerning him, which is the ideal combination, really, for a, a player of his talents. You want them to be frustrated. It wasn't a lack of confidence. Um, I noticed after the game, he had a very long embrace, 30 seconds or more, I'd say, uh, with the fitness coach, um, Jean-Pierre Ventroni. Um, and Son was asked about that after the game, and he said he'd had a very nice conversation with him before the match, which sort of made him feel very comfortable and very grateful. And I guess that sort of reflects the love for him. I mean, you know, the ovation when he came on the pitch, you know, the guys that scored in, in, in eight games was for a returning hero. And um, it's also really interesting to note to me how whichever forward starts on the bench 
is coming on and making an impact and feels like they've sort of got a bit of a point to prove. So Richarlison at the start of the season, then Kulisevsky for a couple of games. I thought he, I thought he sort of earned his place with a good performance against Sporting in midweek, and now Son comes off the bench and scores a hat trick. So it's it's a um, it's a fantastic dilemma for Conte to have. But whoever's the one that's being left out is coming on and making an impact, and that's that's a good sign. Yeah, I, know, I noticed he said as well. He hinted, he virtually said, isn't he, that um, with this, the fixtures coming up after the international break. Harry Kane will be rested for some games. Can I use the phrase good luck with that um, to, the, to, to the Spurs manager? Not just the reaction in the crowd, um, but also, again, he's on the big money. He must know how much influence Kane has in the team, psychologically, physically, all the rest of it. Um, we'll see about that. Uh, can I have a quick aside, gentlemen? You've watched a lot of football over the years for the, about Leicester City. Um, they have now made a start worse than Derby did, you know, <laughs> clearly previously, in 07-08, the shittest team ever to, to, grace the prem, to disgrace the Premier League. And Leicester have now made a worse start than them. I should make the point that a few years ago I was on BT um, doing the transfer deadline day in January and I started to bang on about that blinking awful Derby team and how I thought they should have been thrown out of the entire league for the way they performed in the Premier League. I said, and then in January, they brought in another load of absolutely pony players. <laughs> the players they signed in January are unbelievable. It's like Robbie and Savage Robbie and Savage was next. Savage was next to me and said, I was one of those. Ah, <laughs> oh, not you, Robbie. No, mate. No, no, no. Obviously, you made a huge difference. <laughs> I mean, oh. my... For a man of my size, my feet are not huge. They're only size 10. But I do seem to be able to plant them in some very good places when I get going. Um, Leicester are terrible. And it reflects, I think, that Danny Ward, who I, I've got no feelings either way about Danny and the goal. But I'm asking you, Tim, as a, a seasoned football watcher, have you ever seen a goalkeeper with more jitters than he has at the moment? Oh, blimey. Um, Hans Sagers was pretty bad at Wolves for a couple of months. But no... Wolves notwithstanding, we're talking about top teams now. Come on, <laughs> uh, he was he was pretty bad. I felt everyone's sort of been blindsided by his excellent performances at the Euros last summer and thought that he can then be a uh, Premier League goalkeeper. Um, it's weird, Leicester. They've got they got so, not only they got such a good eleven, they got such a good bench. That game seems to be made for Jamie Vardy for me. The amount of uh, space his Spurs were leaving him behind for long periods of the sort of first half, but he didn't come on until the four yeah. two down. Um, if, if we're bigging up our predictions, I think Charlie actually tweeted. I think didn't he before Son came on that it, the game looked made for Son and or Vardy. It was so open, and yeah, I, I have to be honest, I didn't even realise one that he was on the bench or two that he had come on until like I, I had to double check this morning that he'd actually played. I don't remember him even <laughs> touching the ball. He played like the last twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just the way Spurs are at the moment and the way Leicester are. I got lots of points in the Spurs predictor league I'm in because I predicted a four-goal victory for Spurs. But I predicted 4-0. I was not expecting that it had to be 6-2, including a historic hat-trick. Um, not much more to say about the game, really, because I think Spurs' Spurs's issues, not problems, because they haven't got problems, they're doing fantastically well, Spurs' issues will be more in a brighter relief, in more stern examinations will come, and we'll talk about it then. Um, and we should be joyous. You don't get six goals very often in the Premier League, which we're punching the air, and so I am. But basically, look, we basically went from what felt like it could be one of those really, really horrible moments, like one of the worst moments of the season at home to the team bottom of the league, struggling to get a result. And it ended up with what you might deem like a turning point come the end. So I, I think it's definitely a time to be incredibly positive because it, yeah. it, the, the, I, I think 
there's great cause for optimism after that. And and look, I think there were some signs of improvement in terms of the way they played in the second half as well. Not just talking about scoring the goals. I mean, like, the tenacity they played with that they haven't shown too often in midfield, I don't think, in terms of the aggression of trying to win the ball back. Um, yeah. And look, it is only Leicester. No, it, it, uh, it is, but, but, but it was a test. They're, they're, they're not, they're not yeah. the worst team in the league. We know that. And, and I think, you know, D- D- Danny said last week, the last thing you want to do is give them encouragement by giving them an early goal. Um, yeah. And, and, they were very- and like you said, <laughs> like you said, they would have had 10 days to prepare for that game. Like They would have known from last Friday, I guess, the Friday before last, sorry, that their next game was going to be away at Tottenham. And they would have had that whole time to prepare for the game. And Spurs would have had sporting, you know, flying back from Lisbon on Wednesday morning or Tuesday night, whenever it was. They would have only had like a recovery session on Wednesday. So they would have had like one, two training sessions to prepare for the game. So, you know, you are at a disadvantage when you're in Europe. And so to win to win a game late on like that, I mean, it speaks to what Tim was saying about strength of events, I guess. Um, Tim, um, this is a first time for you covering Spurs from the wonderful new stadium. How was it for you? It was a great experience, but it was it was surreal with the, with the events sort of surrounding the match as well. Uh, just just the um, the volume. I, even even walking to the stadium, I'm not sure if they pipe out music outside of the ground before the game, but walking into the stadium, it was very very quiet. And then obviously in the stadium, the volume was turned down. There was some subdued music being played, but. As the, as the game went on, I mean, the noise for Son, I mentioned earlier when he'd come on, the noise for the last three goals at full time, even just um, who gets the loudest cheers for the lineup, I find quite interesting, um, which would be... Who did on so this occasion? So, Lloris got a big cheer, Kane, obviously, Son as well, and Hoiberg got quite got quite like a, a rousing big cheer from, from a small number of people, I noticed, Um that's his family. <laughs> <laughs> May well have been. Um, It'll be the half of the fans that love him, not the half of the fans that hate I'm, him. I'm, yeah, I'm, drowned I'm out the booth. veering towards re- really liking him, actually. I'm not really sure whether... It, the, again, it's the, from the a, balls a small he sample size, but he's been playing pretty well. They didn't show this on Match of the Day. I, I, mean, I don't know if they showed a replay of it on the game, on the game live on TV or, or on the screens in the press box or whatever. There's a ball that Hoiberg played towards the end of the game with the outside of his right foot right down the touchline. It was one of the most unbelievable passes I've ever seen. It, lo- it looks like it was going to like skew off into the stand, and it like stayed just in play and went right down the line. It was amazing. How many goals were Spurs ahead at that stage? It would probably have been five two or six two at that point. Yeah, all footballs. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not just disputing what you say for one minute. Amazing how all footballs, when they're three up in a game, can suddenly do things. Well, hang on, we'd be nine up if you'd done that earlier. He did um, also play the pass of the season the season before last. Uh, Aurier at Old Trafford as well, as I've said a few oh, times. He's, he's, he, his pass for the sixth goal was very good, very good too. And uh, we should make a, a point here that VAR, um, that would have been disallowed. There would be no hat-trick. The linesman would have just said, of course he's offside there, because they can never quite judge really fast-running players um, against players toddling out. Um, but VAR showed that he was onside. Was it Evans kept him onside. Um, so hats off to him about that. Just in terms of observations, like from from the... I guess from the three games I've seen in the flesh so far, a few things have stuck out. One, Lloris is just outstanding. I, uh, I had to look up his age again the other day, but 35. Some of the saves he makes. If you'd been a regular listener to this podcast before you joined it, you'd have heard me saying that every week. Yeah, come on, Tim. 
No, of course. No, of course. Uh, I, and I, I remember exactly who said that and when, but, you know, this is this is just my, my fresh observations. Yeah, that, that, he's be, very good, isn't he? Yeah, Be- yeah. Bentancourt's composure on the ball is e- extremely impressive and the way he gets out of tight holes and some of the small passes plays are excellent. And obviously I've seen this before on telly, but watching it live, Kane's positioning is just mind-blowing. The positions he, he, he picks up, the energy he shows, the vision he shows. Who instigated that change to him going deeper on the pitch? Was that, was that Pochettino? It was really Mourinho wanting to get more defenders and midfielders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he every, everyone deeper on the pitch, yeah, exactly. It was. And I don't know whether Kane knew he could do all that or he suddenly discovered it. Um, but he, either way, he's, he's, he's worked out. He's two players. There's like a YouTube video. It's a YouTube video of a game at Watford in like 2017. And it's like a, just a montage of all Kane's passes. And this was way before like he was known for being like the assist king. And it, it, just, it is just the same like range of like long crossfield passes, like raking passes, amazing balls. Um, so I think he's, he's obviously always had it in his locker. And I guess Mourinho, to his credit, realised exactly how that could be used. And Spurs obviously felt the benefit of that since. But you mentioned Lloris as well. And if we are going to praise Mourinho, which I know we don't like to do too often. Um, Lloris was definitely on a downward trajectory before Mourinho came in and said, stop rushing my line all the time. Just just stick to the goalkeeping and don't bother with this sweeping nonsense. That's very fair. And, and since then, I, like his general performance level, I think, has been much higher. I mean, one or two sort of clangers, but nothing. I, I mean, I think that Marcus Edwards, one's in mid, Marcus Edwards won in midweek. I think he got a little bit lucky with him. I mean, very, very nearly embarrassed himself there. But, but he got a good firm wrist to it, didn't he? So I suppose there's, there's that. I mean, meanwhile, of course, in our... Um, Ever vigilant watch of experts personnel. Uh, note that he said, uh, aforementioned Jose Mourinho, sent off at the weekend again um, as uh, Roma lost at home to Atalanta. Um, he got a red card in about the 50th minute for disagreeing with, let me think, oh yeah, everything that was going on. Um, the, the, and the atmosphere in the ground, once, once Spurs were winning, uh, Tim, was it everything you expected? Yeah, unfortunately, the press box is slightly the other side of the stadium, but the, the noise from that massive wall, which I believe James, you sit in, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that's where I am. Yeah, he's the lead. He's the leader of that wall. It was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty raucous. I mean, in a game where you score six goals, you kind of expect those moments are like sort of tent poles, aren't they, in terms of atmosphere? So you kind of expect it to be quite high. But um, I did think it was might be a little bit subdued again in the circumstances that the game has been played in, and also off the back of the game in midweek where things were pretty bad. I did think it might be a little bit more quiet, but a sat I think a Saturday evening game. It's quite a, it's quite a good time for a game, in terms of like people like having the yes. date. You know, you can have like a drink and enjoy themselves. People can unwind a little bit more and then kind of throw themselves into it. And then you've got Saturday night afterwards. For me, I think like emotionally and alcoholically, it's the best time for a football match. So how how raucous were you, and how raucous are you are you normally? Are you one of the ringleaders in that in that stand? I'm definitely not a ringleader. I'm just a, I, believe it or not, I'm just a moaner. And in fact, I was moaning at six two that they didn't weren't going for a seventh goal. I think they could have. I think they could have scored two more goals after the sixth goal, which was eighty seven minutes. Leicester were gone, completely gone. They could have walked through and scored two more goals. I'm very confident of that. And was this a was this a was this a thought you were verbalising? Very, very much you were expressing so. this very thought to people so. around you. I say this is really bad. Like, during the game, I was getting really annoyed by how negative the bloke next to me was being, and at the end, and they're winning six two. Yeah, I'm like shouting. Get the fucking ball forward and score a seventh goal. <laughs> Never happy. Trying to moderate your own behaviour when you're watching your team, whether it's Wolves or, or Spurs. Um, it, 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 I, I, I try and moderate mine because I, I don't want to be 
When I was a kid, I adored Martin Chivers. He was the right age. He scored lots of goals. For two years, he was the best player in Europe. Um, and every time he missed the ball, there'd be an old bloke behind me who'd go, Jimmy Greaves wouldn't have missed that. And I thought, please, God, don't let me be that person. Um, and, of course, over the years, the number of times I wanted to say Martin Chivers wouldn't have missed that, but I, I deliberately zip it because you can't be that person. It's not fair on the people around you. Now, James, um, Tim mentioned... Some of the, something about the volume of the music, but you noticed something else about the music in the stadium this weekend. Well, so it, it, it kind of, I'd noticed it, and I'm sure a lot of people had noticed it, had been at the games. In the first three home games, they played Metallica like before the team came out, Enter Sandman, every game. And obviously it's like, you know, it pumps people up quite a lot. It's, it's raucous, it's loud. Uh, and it kind of gets people into it. And they didn't do that before this game, which again, I assume it's possibly because of the circumstances yes. of the I minute mean, science before the game and whatever else, which makes sense. But the music they were playing was like sort of mid 2000s, soft, like Keen, and uh, there's like some Duran Duran they played at halftime. What's that 90s Duran Duran uh, song? Was it, was it, was it, was it ordin- Ordinary World? Or- yeah. Ordinary World, Ordinary World, oh, Ordinary God. World. Oh, so they were kind of going for that so- soft balladry really out of respect or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, I don't know, but that, that's the kind of music, and I mean, obviously not just because some of those bands are from them, but that's the kind of music they used to play at games in around like 2004, That's the kind of stuff I can imagine hearing games in. No, it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't though. They, they never played Radiohead Street Spirit at any football match I've ever been to in my life. That was before the game. They played Travis twice. They played the same. They've obviously run out of morose songs. They played the. I heard it when I was in the press. They can get in, the in Misery the playlist on Spotify, can't they? Was, just whack um, that out. The philosopher Desiree wow. was on at halftime as well, which is just bizarre. Never heard her at a well, game. For many, many years, for decades, the man who did the announcing at the stadium was a bloke called Willie Morgan. And Willie also chose the tunes. And he was very good at it. The person, he's now retired. The person who does it now is called Pete Abbott. That's the voice, that's the stentorian voice you hear. Now, Pete is a friend of mine because um, we worked on the, the same radio station. Talk sports, Absolutely. Now, I think Pete should be allowed to choose the music because you won't, when you meet him, and he, and you know, he's he he is sixty years of age, but he looks forty, um, and something of a hobbit. Um, when you meet Pete, you would be un, you'd be amazed to learn that he is a massive music expert, and still, ladies and gentlemen, at his age, I've got to stop myself from laughing. Going to festivals and camping, oh yeah. So I think they should let Abbott have a go because he really has great taste in music. Um, but obviously, this is being done by some kind of either committee or computer program, AI program that says we. Slightly subdued music for people who are thirty-five years of age. Well, I, I'd love to know where this Metallica thing came from, and I'm, I don't know. I don't object to it at all. I think it's been pretty good actually. But like, it's clearly a conscious decision by someone yeah. that we need to play something that's like kind of you know like aggressive and that's going to get people up for it. And and you know, I'm not suggesting the home performances have been incredible, but they have won every game at home. Are they still playing McNamara's um, band at half time? I don't know if they still play because. I don't know. Obviously, actually. Million Years Ago, Spurs just ran McNamara's band. It was yeah. Danny Blanchflower's choice. And then that went on all through the 70s and 80s. And then they had that poll, if you remember, saying, could we could we drop it? And people said, no, don't drop it. It's, it's tradition. And so they, they come up with a thing of, well, we have to have, I think it's Irving Scholar, we have to have more modern music to run out to, but we'll play it at half time instead. And it was kind of, and it's been allowed to wither on the vine in recent years. I noticed that promise. Well, they kind of they've played it as a team's coming back out for the second half generally, haven't they? In the last sort of like two decades or so. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Are they still doing that? Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't remember hearing it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that you so, it's like so habitual. Yes, you exactly. Kind of forget. 
And also, there'll be so, like, Tim probably doesn't know McNamara's band. No. And I'm sure some of our, like, American listeners that haven't had the good fortune to go to a game or whatever yet uh, might not know. So if you wanted to sing it now, Danny. Well, the problem is, uh, as I, I have a singing voice, like somebody uh, cutting a zinc fence um, with a hacksaw. So, I'm, I'm, But uh, it, it, it starts, my name is McNamara, I'm the leader of the band, and it ends with, and a credit to old Ireland is McNamara's band. And it's a great tune. Already I can see Tim is dancing in his chair there. His mind has gone back to 15 years ago in a lycra suit in techno clubs in the Midlands. All right, so enter Sandman it is for the time being. We'll look forward to the North London derby on Thursday when whenever we do the next one of these podcasts. Um, just just to go back to the game against Leicester before we finish this half of the podcast, um, what percentage chance, James, would you say that um, Conte will change his his you know tried and tested system, having seen the success of doing something else, or and I'm, I'm, there's no wrong answer here, or will he you know Arsenal is coming, will he go back to what he knows best? I suspect he'll go back to the the three four three. I don't see him straying from it immediately. I do wonder if it might happen eventually, but I, I certainly think for that game it will be depending on what happens with injuries over the international break, I guess, and whatever else. But yeah, I suspect it will be that. But who plays that front? Who knows? It's, um, the the, the wing-backs is a bit of a confusing one for me. I thought Perisic did okay and is obviously pretty two-footed. On the, In fact, Charlie called it, didn't last Thursday, that that might happen. But whether you go Sessegnon and Perisic again, whether you bring in Royale back, Kulisevsky as a, as a right wing back in a three-five-two has been mentioned in the past couple of days as well. Um, but one thing that he can't do is play Sanchez probably in defence. Um, Charlie said last Thursday that Sanchez was the most popular crap player in the in the current Spurs squad. And uh, I did send him a message uh, 90 seconds into the game saying, I, I understand now, after he'd given the ball away and then given a penalty away within within space of about 30 seconds. And don't forget that in between that, he'd been nutmegged as well. He gave the ball away, then got nutmegged, then gave away the penalty. Can I just say, well, you praised Perisic there. And Perisic went to ground, like, went to ground trying to win the ball in that 90 seconds twice as well. And like just completely like exposed himself. And he gave the ball away quite a few times. I wasn't actually that impressed with Perisic on Saturday, I've got to say. I thought his set pieces were excellent, by the way. I know. His, set, his delivery is incredible, but I was surprised. And I mean, I guess, you know, he's more used to playing on the left than the right, even though he is kind of broadly two-footed. He didn't look entirely comfortable, like, making runs off the ball, which is a thing I've been moaning about with Royale all season and last season. Um, I wouldn't necessarily want Perisic to play on the right too often. So would you rather that Royale was there? Assuming, well, hoping, assuming Doherty's fit. I mean, he would be my choice out of the, uh, the realistic options at the club at the moment. Does that mean you think that Jed Spence is not a realistic option? Well, no, I just think that Doherty was incredibly good in that role in those two months last season before he got injured. So it kind of feels like he should be first choice, really. Yeah, and when he was doing that well, it was clear too that the other people in the team like him a lot. There was Every time he, he contributed, they, he was getting a lot of hugs and kisses. And it was making Conte's system work. Which you would have thought the Conte would be banging into. Listen, I'm going to end this section with um, what I uh, is, uh, is. It's not good news. I see um, clubs um, with whom he's associated as a manager wishing John Duncan all the best. Um, he's in hospital and not very well. 
I'm going to be hopeful and say that I hope he recovers, but uh, it reminded me, just for people of a certain age, um, you'll, you will be saying, Tim, who is John Duncan? Um, incredibly, if you think about all the great forwards... Tim will remember John Duncan, as I do, as the manager Absolutely. of Chesterfield when he got to the FA Cup semi-finals. When and knocking his, own, knocking his own glasses off at Celebrate a Yeah, goal. from the yeah, 97 FA Cup semis. When when they were robbed of a place, when the Chesterfield manager of a place in the FA Cup final, they were a third-tier team playing against Middlesbrough. When the game was still level, they scored a goal, but because we didn't have goal-line technology, it wasn't allowed. But just thinking about John, just reminded me that back in the mid-70s, um, when Spurs were frankly useless and got relegated um the one bright thing until glenn hoddle came along about the team was john duncan um and if you think about those people who've been leading goal scorer for spurs over the years uh, jermaine defoe uh, gary lineker jürgen klinsman obviously harry kane robbie Keane. well some of those were not as leading goal scorers often as john duncan who was the leading goal scorer three years out of the four years he was at spurs um, and this is a, bearing in mind that he was injured um, 50% of the time, perhaps because of the kind of lack of coordination that allows you to knock your glasses off. Um, but we wish him well, um, because I have very fond memories of, uh, of John doing his thing up front for Spurs with his great mop of black hair. But I hear he's not very well. And we hope he'll do better. When we come back, um, talking about managers, we'll talk about the current manager um, and the situation at Juventus, which is causing me to quiver slightly. And more soon here on The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, James Moore and Tim Spears. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, welcome back once again to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today is Tim Spears and James Moore. Um, before we get on to a very serious matter, I want to just, again, because I keep a very close eye on what all former Spurs players are doing um, around the world. Um, last week, I told you that um, Royal Antwerp had made an astonishing start to uh, the Belgian Premier League or whatever it's called, the Super League, I think they call it the Super Planet League, something like that. Um, they had won seven out of seven and their win the weekend before this um, was facilitated by goals from Toby Alderweireld and Vincent Janssen. Researchers have now since told me that that was Janssen's first goal, non-penalty goal on European soil for about six years. Well, I have to tell you that Royal Antwerp won again this weekend. This time instead of 2-0, they won 2-1 and the goal scorers were... Toby Alderweireld and Vincent Janssen. So they've now worked out how to win all games in Belgium by relying on goals from Toby and Vincent. Um, amazingly, the latter is more likely than the, the former is more, more likely than the latter, but Vincent's back in the, in the Dutch squad. So something's happened in Mexico that we didn't all know about. Meanwhile, Juventus Football Club go from bad to worse, hammered at home in the, uh, in the Champions League in the middle of the week. Uh, yesterday lost to Monza, 
Monza making, that's the first victory they've ever had in Serie A. Um, Angel Di Maria got himself sent off rather stupidly, and the club is now in proper crisis. It is thought that unless, um, except for the fact that Max Allegri, their manager, has got a massive contract they have to pay up, that he'd be out the door now. Now, obviously, uh, Thomas Tuchel has added to the complications here because he would be the obvious choice to replace him. Or would he? Because at least two Italian journalists of my, not my acquaintance, but I read their stuff when it's translated to English, say that the person who really liked that job, and you know what I'm going to say next deflatingly, is Antonio Conte, hugely successful in the past at Juventus, um, and a former player, of course, as well. James, you've got your finger, with all due respect to Tim, even though you're on holiday, I'm sure you are literally at the centre of a global web of football information and in the nose and spies. Um, should I be worried about Antonio Conte taking off for Turin? I mean, what I would say about that is there's probably a difference between Conte being interested in a job and top brass at Juventus thinking they want Conte back. Because I don't think some of the relationships there were entirely cordial at the point that he left. There would definitely be a few sort of rough edges to smooth over if that were the case. I mean, also, I mean, what you're mentioning about Allegri's contract as well. Uh, and again, I mean, I'm only reading this from probably the same journalist as you, but I, it seems like that is going to be quite a big hurdle and one that means wait a little bit longer before pulling the trigger. Although, obviously, you know, international break is traditionally deemed a good time to do it. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't. I don't think we should be kind of spiraling into depression yet on that one again. Not not least as we did it so many times last season, that it just got incredibly boring. You're you're giving him till the World Cup, yeah, are you? Give him a few more weeks. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. They should stick with him. Show a bit of loyalty. Yeah, of course. Cool. So he's got a, he's got to build. He's got these two more transfer windows. Tim, you'll find that this is a regular feature, not just of this podcast, but of being around Spurs these days. And I guess we talked about it a little bit last week when we are doing our predictions for what would have happened by the time Charlie Eccleshare gets back. I don't, the, the way you've started, I doubt we'll want him back, but you know what I mean. Until Conte signs this blinking contract extension, we're going to have to go through this agony, aren't we? Yeah, potentially. Although, as, as James has alluded to, it's not as sort of cut and dried that that him and Juventus would would reunite. I spoke to um, I spoke to James Horncastle about this for a bit of background, and he he described it as a very sort of a complicated story and a complicated relationship. Obviously, he's he's their former captain, most successful coach of recent times, really. But he, they did have a falling out. Um, when uh, when they separated, uh, him and Agnelli had had quite a disagreement. He was going into the last year of his contract, basically, and Juve put out a statement saying as such that he was going into the last year of his contract. He wanted the club to match his ambitions in the transfer market. That didn't quite happen. And then a week into pre-season, Conte resigned, um, which left a lot of frustration with Juventus in terms of sort of leaving them in the lurch near to the eve of the season. Some good managerial candidates had already gone. So they took it badly, but also... Um, Conte had said um, towards the latter days of his reign there that being the coach of Juventus in the Champions League was like having 10 euros in your pocket when you're going to a 100 euro per head restaurant. So obviously that didn't go down well either. But he So he was moaning about his sort of transfer budget. But then the, the next season, um, Allegri takes over and takes him to the Champions League final. So um, there's no sort of love loss there. And when there was a behind closed doors game in COVID times, when Conte was manager of Inter, who of course Juventus is great rivals. So, you know, that's another sort of stain. 
um, for him to go and manage them. Um, there was a lot of abuse coming down from the director's box aimed towards Conte, apparently, and he responded by giving him the middle finger. Um, yes, I remember this. Yeah, yes. so <laughs> it's fair to say that, that you know, there's no love lost between them. Uh, James says the situation has improved in in since then in terms of the, the the relationship between them, but it's certainly not as straightforward as Conte wanting to return and Juventus wanting him back. And you know everything Conte, every, everything I've heard Conte say since I've started covering the club is that he's very much feels like he's at the start of a project trying to build something. Certainly not sounding like he's you know angling for a move or or that, or that he's unhappy. I think he, I think he's he's starting to build something. And I do think that um, Thomas Tuchel has complicated all calculations now because there are teams out there who can see floating around free of charge somebody who's won the Champions League in very recent memory. And he is going to be a a spectre haunting uh, many of the top managers uh, of these big European clubs. Speaking of James Horncastle, did anybody see him last night on Galazzo? Uh, He was wearing, quite rightly and respectfully, uh, a black suit and a black tie. But let's be honest, with the way James's hair and beards work, if we were to, if the caption said Blue Oyster Cult Roadie mourns lost drummer, you'd have been unsurprised, wouldn't you? Let's be truthful about that. Well done, James. Um, you've actually made me feel better, you two, which is a rare occurrence. You've made me feel a bit better about the prospect of Conte uh, staying at Spurs and not buggering off to Juventus, which I, I, I genuinely had a fear of last night. Though, of course, the list always goes now. The list which used to go when any club needs a manager, Zinedine Zidane, Maurizio Pochettino, Tuchel has now gone to the top of that list, so there's three of them uh, floating about. So maybe all of that makes Conte seem a less attractive prospect. And I have to say, even though you'll hear me in the past on here, and no doubt in the future as well, doubting that he knows what he's doing at times, I still would rather have him than not just now. Because... If you're getting north of two points per game in the Premier League, you're doing something right, despite old fools like me having a pop. Um, We're going to end today um, with a lovely story um, connected with Spurs about a man called Chris Howell. His nephew Colin tweeted out after the rounds of uh, Champions League games that his uncle Chris had won on a six-part accumulator no less than one quarter of a million of your English pounds. A quarter of a million. Amazing. But he was reliant for that to happen on Napoli winning 3-0 at Ibrox Park when they were playing Rangers. And that goal, as you know, went in about 92nd minute um, from no less than Tangay and Dombele. So a Spurs fan is saved by something good that Tangay and Dombele has done. Not only saved... Um, it wasn't a 5p bet, it won him a quarter of a million pounds. Um, I'm delighted to say that that man, Chris Howell, is not publicity shy um, and is here now on the phone. Hello, Chris, how are you? Hello, Danny, how are you doing? Well, I, I can't be doing as well as you. I mean, I, it's a lovely day here and the hat is on the side of my head, but it cannot be as good as you're feeling. Um, tell us, just very, first of all, congratulations, well done. Everyone loves to see the bookmakers getting taken down. What a thrill for you. I'm still reeling for it. We both felt me and the wife would just sit there looking at each other, giggling and going, what happened? What happened? Because we, we needed five goals in the last six minutes. And it all, all started going in with Haaland. Yeah. Then I think Neymar on 88. The others were a blur, but the last one from Ndombele, it's just amazing. We, we sat up till two in the morning going, wondering whether it was true. Is there a catch? Did I fill it out properly? Did I do this? 
And the wife just said, it's the longest VAR decision we've ever had. <laughs> and we've seen plenty of those in recent times, haven't we? Nine um, hours. Obviously, you would you would go through all those things. That's the reaction everybody ever won. The pools in the old days used to make sure they checked their coupon properly. What was your immediate reaction, though? Were the two of you jumping around the, around the living room? We wasn't. We was just like staring at each other, hands on mouths, because we haven't had the best of years. It's like thinking there's got to be a catch. Got to be a catch. Did I fill it out properly? Did I do this? Did I do that? Got very little sleep. And so I think just after nine o'clock that morning, bloke Scott from Sky rung us and gave us good news. And just cannot believe it. Well, I, I will. I will describe the fact that um, for those of you who can't, I can see you at the moment. Um, not everyone can. You're wearing a lovely Spurs training top, and uh, I, I, I totally approve. Well done. Um, and we, we should return to the fact, though, that um, it is Tangay and Dombele of all people who, as a sixty million pound transfer and earning two hundred grand a week, let's be truthful, he hasn't done much for Spurs fans, but he may have just brought some credit back into his balance sheet with you. Well, before. Well, was, I don't know about you. We used to go around in circles. He'd get the ball so talented, so much ability. But when he got loaned out, we thought, great, got Pasuma and all that coming in. And then, well, I love him. I, you, you ought to try and get in touch with him just to tell him that uh, he is the source of your great fortune. I would meet him if I had the chance. Oh, yeah. If I had the yeah. chance. But, yeah, and just thank him because that's brilliant. You're, you're a man of a certain age, so you've seen Spurs win trophies and that. Is Spurs winning a trophy, was it a better feeling than winning quarter of a million quid for yourself? Wife wouldn't agree. She's a gooner. Oh, well, you, you suffer under the same yoke that I do then. There you go. Um, I mean, I know you've got to say birth for your children. That's the rules now. Those are the local bylaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, is it Spurs winning a trophy or you winning, i got to keep saying it, a quarter of a million quid? Well, I know. We keep saying it. Um, trophy. Good man. Um, Chris, it was a pleasure when I saw the tweet from your nephew. It's been even more of a pleasure talking to you because one wants to see good stuff happen to good people and anybody wearing a Spurs training top at 10 o'clock in the morning is, in my opinion, a good person. So congratulations again to you and the Guna lady wife. I've got to be, you know, you've got to be even-handed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bless her. Bless her indeed. Um, <laughs> and uh, spend it wise, my friend. Don't waste it all on sweets and ice cream. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Thank you. Yeah, that was Chris Howell talking to me on the phone a little earlier. What a brilliant story it is and what a lovely chap he turns out to be. And sometimes the sun shines on the righteous, as proven by his Spurs training top first thing in the morning. Uh, listen, thank you very much indeed for listening to us. Thank you to James and Tim for being with us. Thank you for James for coming back. Given your tan, you might decide to stay in Portugal and then we'd all be bereft. But thank you very much indeed. Remember, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up to read all of the brilliant Spurs coverage this season, as well as everything else on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for the first six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll be talking about Spurs players and how they might get on the World Cup and much else besides. Thanks for listening again. The Athletic. <laughs>